We've been coming through the Gospel of Matthew together. And today we're at Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 through 15. I love um, that passage in Nehemiah where it says that um, Ezra opened the book and out of reverence, everyone stood up and they were worshiping the Lord for what was about to be read over them. So how about this morning, let's stand up and let's read God's word together. If you're able, let's stand. We're going to read Matthew 10. This is our passage this morning. We're going to read verse 5 through 15. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper from your, for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, help us to lean in and to hear from you this morning. Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word. Oh, how we love your law. Oh, how we love it, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have hearts that listen with um, submissiveness and obedience to you as king this morning. Thank you so much, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit down. Let me try to... Uh, sort of set the scene a little bit for what we just read. So, as you've probably heard, if you've been coming with us through the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew has uh, five major teaching blocks scattered throughout the Gospel. Each one of them ends with a phrase, like we'll read in a minute in 11.1, where it says, when he was done instructing them in these things. And so, this passage we're, in, we're entering into in chapter 10 is the second teaching block in the Gospel of Matthew. So the first one was the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. 
And then in chapter 8 and 9, we walk through that together, looking at the works of Jesus and his earthly ministry. And then we come today to chapter 10, and we're entering into that second teaching block. <clears throat> now, just to set the scene, let me take that first phrase. Look at it in verse 5. It says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them. Okay? So who were these twelve? These twelve were the twelve apostles. This was a very unique role. We talked about this this past Sunday. This unique role were to be an apostle, according to Acts chapter 1, you literally had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. That's one of the things they were given testimony to. Not only that, you had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. You also had to be called by Jesus to be an apostle. And not only that, but he, he approved your apostleship by giving you what 2 Corinthians 12, 12 calls the signs of a true apostle by signs and wonders. So you had to have the signs of a true apostle. And that's what we see in these 12 apostles, a unique role for this time period so that the faith can be once and for all delivered to the saints, as it says in Jude verse 3. Now it says these 12 are being sent out. They're being sent out. So think about what Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, think about what it looked like up to this point. We have a little summary statement in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And then also we, we just saw one recently in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. We have these summary statements of what his ministry looked like. What did it look like? It looked like preaching and teaching and healing. It was preaching the old or teaching the old, preaching the new. And then it says he healed every affliction and every disease. He's literally going into cities and towns, eradicating sickness in the whole town shutting down hospitals, no more demonic activity. He's just destroying it all. And all this is a sign that this man, this man is the Messiah. And now he's sending out these 12, and they're going to be an extension of his ministry. They're being sent out, as we're going to read in just a moment, to do the exact same thing that he's been doing. They're going to be sent out to all these towns and cities throughout Israel. So his earthly ministry is about to expand as it's extended through these 12 apostles. Now, right before he sends them out, verse 5 here, this, in this, this opening phrase, it says he, was, he began to instruct them. He was instructing them. And so Jesus gives them some instruction from verse 5 all the way to verse 42, the end of, our chap the end of this uh, chapter 10. And this is Jesus' instruction, his teaching to them as he's sending them out. And then chapter 11, verse 1, as I said a moment ago, says, And when Jesus had finished, finished instructing his disciples. And that's what we see at the end of every one of these teaching blocks scattered throughout the Gospel of Matthew. So, this, the scene is set. He's about to send out his 12 apostles. And we're moving into the teaching that he gives them on their way out. Now, this passage that we're in can be divided up into four parts. One, where to go. Where does he tell them to go? We find that in verse 5 and 6. Two, what to do. What do you do when you get there? We see that in verse 7 and 8. Three, what to take on your journey or what not to take or how to pack for the journey. We see that in verse 9 and 10. And then where, number four, number four, where to stay in each town that they're going into, how to interact with the people and where to stay. We see that in verse 11 through 15. So we're going to work through this passage with those headings, okay? So number one, Matthew 10, verse 5 through 6, 
where does Jesus want these apostles to go for the mission that he sent them on? So look at it again. These 12, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them. Here it is. Where does he want them to go? Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So think about that for a minute. Where does he want them to go? Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the nations. Don't go outside of the land of Israel. Don't go to the land of Samaria. But I want you to go to the, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay? Now what's the deal here? Does Jesus have something against Gentiles and Samaritans and the nations? Does he have something against them where he doesn't want them to hear the truth? And you know that's not true. All you've got to do to know that's not true is go back into your Old Testament and read and study about what the Messiah was supposed to do. So there's this Messiah that's been promised literally from all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. A Messiah was promised to come. And what is revealed progressively about this Messiah? Well, Genesis chapter 12 said he's going to bless all nations. Right? Genesis 49, it was promised to Judah that to him, to this king, would be the obedience of the peoples, of the nations. Okay, and we see this coming all the way through the Old Testament, that this Messiah, he would come through Israel, but it's not just about Israel. He's coming through Israel, and he's going to bless all nations on the earth. He's going to have a people for himself drawn out from every nation, tribe, and tongue. So it's not that he's just against the nations or against Gentiles. In fact, you can look at Jesus' earthly ministry, even while he's in the land of Israel, and you see him at different times interacting with Samaritans, interacting with Gentiles, and even saving souls amongst, amongst those people. And especially when you get to the end of his life, after he dies for sinners, rises from the dead, his post-resurrection mission that he gives is go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's go make disciples of all the nations. So the point is not that he's against Gentiles and Samaritans, but right now, all of this stuff is beginning right here in Israel with these people that are expecting their Messiah. They're expecting their Messiah. And he's going to come, and it's going to explode like unvented wine onto planet Earth. Now, it says that his design is to begin, the phrase is, verse 6, the lost sheep. Where are they supposed to go? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I want you to remember that is a messianic reference, okay? The lost sheep of the house of Israel is a messianic reference. In other words, these people aren't just lost in the sense of they just need a little direction. They just need a little guidance in their life, and Jesus is going to give that to them because they're lost. It's not that. To be the lost sheep means they're sheep without their shepherd. They, they're a people without their Messiah. This is a messianic phrase right here. Now, we talked about that. If you go back, if you remember Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, right? What led up to all this? Matthew 9, 36. Jesus looks out on the crowds and he's moved with compassion. Why? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And again, that's not just, oh, poor lost sheep that needs some guidance. No, no. The idea, if you go back into your Old Testament, sheep without a shepherd, what does it mean? Well, the kings and the rulers of Israel were called the shepherds of God's people. And they were expecting one king that would come, one ruler, one shepherd that would come. You can see this really clearly if you go read Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 begins to rebuke the negligent 
and wicked shepherds of Israel. And you go read that chapter in Ezekiel 34, and the prophet's rebuking them for not caring for the sheep, and he's rebuking the kings and the rulers of Israel. Okay? And then right at the end of that chapter, God says, I'm going to raise up one shepherd for my people, my servant David. Now, you know what's interesting about that? Ezekiel's saying it, which means David's dead. I'm going to raise up one shepherd, my servant David. What's he talking about? It was promised that through the line of David, a son of David would come and be king forever. And so when Jesus looks at them like sheep without a shepherd, he's looking at them, the compassion that's driving him to say pray for laborers to go out is that they need their Messiah. There are people without their Messiah. So it's a messianic reference when you read, go rather to the lost sheep. Go to those people that don't have their Messiah and tell them what? The Messiah's here. The Messiah is has arrived. Now, second, verse 7 and 8, we see Jesus telling them what to do. So when they get into these towns, these different towns and cities, and they're traveling through, and they stop at each town, each village, what are they supposed to do? What kind of ministry are they supposed to do when they're on this journey? And that's in verse 7 and 8. And what we find out here is that he says something to them about their message there to preach, about their miracles there to perform, and about their money. So something about their message, their miracles, and their money. Let's read it right here, verse 7 and 8. And proclaim as you go, so as you go from town to town, city to city, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message. Verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. That's the miracles. <clears throat> you receive without paying, give without pay. And that's something about their money. So let's go through each one of those. So what about the message? You know, what do you want us to do, Jesus, when we get, to, get into these towns? Well, I got something to say to you about the message that I want you to preach. It says here, proclaim as you go. So in every city, every town they went into, they were to be heralds of the king. They were to be proclaimers of the truth, proclaimers of the gospel. What are they to proclaim? The verse says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love it when Jesus just tells us what to say. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Tell them that. Now again, this is a messianic message, okay? This is not just... Some vague heavenly kingdom is going to enter in or some vague heavenly kingdom is going to come down. This is, listen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is here. The son of David is here. The shepherd is here. The one that's going to crush Satan's head. He's here. The Messiah is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now imagine them, try, imagine them just proclaiming that. Imagine them walking in to this city of, of, of Jewish people. He, he walk, they walk into these, these Jewish people that are supposed to be expecting their Messiah and the scripture that they should know about their Messiah. And these men come in and they say, listen to me. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, Genesis 49, where it was promised that one would come from Judah and he would hold the scepter as king and to him would be the obedience of the peoples. It's here. 
You know the promise to David in 2 Samuel 7 where David's son will be king forever? It's here. Imagine them saying things like that. You, you know that promise, that, that, that prophecy that Daniel gave in Daniel 7? That there would be a man, a son of man, that would walk before the ancient of days and to him would be, to him would be given dominion over every nation, tribe, and tongue? That one is here. Imagine him saying that. Imagine them coming into this city, this town, with that message. It's a glorious truth they're bringing. Now this message, it's a messianic message. The king is here. The kingdom has come. And it's also a gospel message. It's a gospel message. And here's what I mean by that. If you go read the, the, the uh, parallel scripture over in Luke chapter 9, verse 6. Same story, but told, told by... The writer Luke, okay? And you go read that in Luke, Luke 9, 6. And, and you go read Luke 9, and he says the same thing. Go into those towns and tell them the kingdom of heaven's at hand. And then you read the end of it, and it says, and they went everywhere, and you know what they did? They preached the gospel. So this gospel is equated to this message of the king has arrived. So gospel means good news. So they're not just saying the king is here, the kingdom is at hand. They're saying good news. This is really good news. The one that's going to save us from our sins. The one that's going to rescue us and deliver us. Good news. The king is here. That's what they're proclaiming in these towns. Now also, not only a messianic message, not only a gospel, but this is a message about repentance. It's a message about repentance. Again, let me point you to another verse. Go to Mark chapter 6, verse 12. You don't have to flip there now, but go read that later. Mark 6, verse 12. Parallel passage. Same thing. He tells them, go tell them the kingdom is at hand. And then what do they do? It says they go preach that men ought to repent. It's a message about repentance. It's a message about repentance. Now, some people have trouble putting those two things together as if they don't coexist. As if a gospel message can't also be a message about repentance. And yet, in the scriptures, it is repentance. The preaching of repentance. Turn from your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ is a part of this good news of the gospel. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Think about this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is here. And if the king is here... How must you respond to that? You need to come under his authority. You need to lose your own allegiances to yourself or anything else and come under the allegiance of this king. And that's exactly what repentance is. Coming under his authority, swearing allegiance to Christ and Christ alone. So, summary statement. What is their message? It's a message that the kingdom is here. The king has arrived. This is good news. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your old allegiances and put your trust in this Christ who has arrived. Now, their miracles. Verse 8, their miracles. This is what he told them to do. Not only preach this message, but also, verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Now, look, don't, don't miss the magnitude of that. Seriously, like, what, you know, when you hear, it, it's, it can be so foolish. If you're understanding the word right, it can be so foolish when somebody tells you, man, I'm just, you know, I'm just uh, doing my healing ministry like Jesus and the apostles, okay? When somebody tells you that's foolish, because he, here's the reality. If you're reading it carefully, when Jesus goes into these towns, it says he's healing every affliction, every sickness, 
Think about him going into a town, eradicating sicknesses altogether, all demonic activity done away with. He just completely does away with all of that, showing himself to be the Messiah. And these apostles are told to do the same thing. Even, did you see the phrase? Even raise the dead. Go into these towns, heal all the sickness, raise the dead, heal all the lepers, cast out the demons. And you imagine them going into these towns and extending Jesus' ministry in that way. The same, the same miracles done by Jesus that were a witness that he is the Messiah are given to these apostles as a witness that they are apostles. Okay. Now you see that really clearly. I want to read a verse to you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 gives you a purpose of these miracles. It says this. How should, we, how should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Think about that. A great salvation, a great gospel, a great salvation. And then it says, it, this message, it was, for, it was declared at first by the Lord. So it was declared by Jesus. It was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard, that's Jesus and his apostles, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so what we see in the life of these apostles is these are the signs of an apostle. Just like it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Were not the signs of a true apostle performed among you in many signs and wonders? This is what Paul says. We see it when you read the book of Acts. Go read Acts 2. Go read Acts 4 and Acts 5. And over and over again, you see these signs and wonders done by the hands of who? Of the apostles. I mean, they're literally, people are, people are laying the sick out in the street just so the apostle Peter's shadow will pass them by and they'll be healed. This is amazing stuff that's affirming that that is the Messiah and these are, this, these are the apostles, this unique and special role where we get our New Testament from. These miracles are meant to put on display that these apostles are the authoritative representatives of Jesus the Christ. Matthew 10.1, it says that Jesus takes his authority, we see it right here, and he gives this authority to do these things to the apostles. On these apostles will be laid the foundation of the church, Ephesians 2.20. These apostles will go on to write words that are scripture, the very words of God. And God's affirming it. Christ is affirming it with signs and wonders. Now, that's their message. He has something to say about their, their miracles. And now he has something to say about their money. Verse 8 says, You received without pay, give without pay. Jesus was the, he was the apostle's teacher. And he didn't charge a dime. He didn't charge a dime. He says, You received without pay. And now he's calling them. Now you go into these towns and you give without pay. Don't charge for the gospel. Preach it freely to all. Don't charge a dime. There were a lot of teachers and orators in that day that would go around teaching and giving their speeches and giving their teaching, giving their instruction, all this stuff. And the whole time they're charging those hearers, you know, as if these, they got this product that they're giving to them that's not free. And the charge he's given them here 
to his apostles is give the gospel freely to all. Now, number three, verse 9 and 10, they're thinking about this journey. I got a message to preach, miracles to do. We're going throughout the, these cities and towns in Israel. And they're thinking about that journey. And in verse 9 and 10, Jesus tells them what, what to take or what to not take on the journey. Let's read it, verse 9 and 10. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. Now think about that for just a minute. The apostles are thinking, okay, we got this long journey we're about to go on, okay, in all these cities and towns. It's going to take a while. And Jesus wants us to preach this message. He wants us to do these miracles. And he just said, we're not going to get paid for it. Okay? So surely they're thinking, so what, what do we need to take? What should we pack? What should we pack for this journey? Okay? And they think they're going to have to pack a ton. But Jesus makes it super easy for them. He essentially says, don't pack at all. Don't pack anything. Right here it says, don't pack, a gold, don't pack gold, silver, or copper for your belts. For your be that's, so don't take any money. Don't take extra money in your belts. These belts are like, um, like ancient fanny packs. Okay. Don't take any money in the fanny pack. Don't take anything to buy a trade. Then it says, no bag for your journey. These could be as small as a wallet or as large as, as what you would think of a bigger bag. So, so don't do it. Don't take a suitcase. Don't take your wallet. It says, don't take two tunics. So don't bring extra clothes or sandals. So don't bring an extra pair of flip-flops. Don't take an extra staff. He says, don't do any of this stuff. Essentially, don't pack it all. Just go. Now, why does Jesus tell them to pack so light or to, not, or to not pack at all for this long journey of gospel preaching? Now, the text, it doesn't explicitly tell us the reason Jesus wants them to do it in this way, but there are some context clues here. So I want you to think about this connection. Number one, Jesus just said, go preach the gospel and give without pay. Go heal, raise the dead, and do it all without pay. So we should take a lot of provisions for the journey, right? No, no, don't pack anything. Don't take anything. So think about that connection. Jesus is leading them to trust him. To trust him. They're about to have to live out an intense version of what they've just learned back in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember that? Sort of an, a really an extraordinary version. Matthew 5, where, where he says, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about your food or what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. They're about to be tested with sort of an unusual, intense version of that. They're being moved to trust Christ. Now, I think this is affirmed, this push for them to trust Jesus. I want to read a verse to you. You don't have to flip there, but Luke 22. This is more towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he says this in 22, verse 35, Luke 22, 35. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? So he's making them think about this thing that we're reading about. Remember that when I sent you out like that without packing? 
Then he says, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing, nothing. Then he says to them, but now, now, let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. So it actually gets revoked toward the end here. So, but, but that language of when that happened, this thing that we're reading about in Matthew 10, when that happened, did you lack anything? And their answer is nothing, nothing. There seems to be this push or insinuation that they need to learn to trust Christ. Now, we do, in the, in the final phrase, if you look at verse 10, chapter 10, verse 10, the final phrase gives us sort of a reason for these actions. It says this, for the laborer deserves his food. Okay, the, the way it says it in the Gospel of Luke is the laborer deserves his wages. Okay, this is actually a verse that's quoted over in five, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 19, I believe where it's talking about giving financial support to elders of a church. And, and then it says, for, uh, it quotes the verse, it quotes the scripture, uh, a laborer is worthy, a laborer deserves his wages. This is the verse that is quoted there. So I want you to think about how these two principles go together. Think about these two things. Number one, you received without paying, so go give without pay. Think about that. Go give without pay. Number two, the laborer deserves his wages. The laborer deserves his food. So go do this ministry without pay, he says, earlier. And then right here he says, go and don't pack anything. Just go because the laborer deserves his food. I want you to think about how these two things go together. One of them, said, one of them sounds like don't get, don't get paid to preach and heal. But the other one sounds like don't pack because the labor is worthy of his wages and they'll take care of you when you get there. You, you see the interesting thing here? How do these two things go together? Now, the following section, verse 11 through 15, is going to help us understand how those two things go together. But let me try to give just a quick preview before we read it again and go through it a little slower. Here's the preview. Apostles, so think about this. You apostles, this is Jesus to his apostles. You apostles, when you go into a town... And you're proclaiming that the Messiah has come. Some people are going to receive you into their homes. Okay, That's a, a normal custom there in this uh, context, this time of history, this part of the world. Normal thing, they, they would receive you into their home. And as we're going to read in just a moment, if they are believers that receive your message, they receive you and they receive your teaching, then receive their support. A laborer deserves his food. A laborer deserves his Wages. That's what we're going to see in this passage. So, so think about this. The way that these two principles, give without pay, and the laborer deserves his food, the way these two principles go together is like this. Number one, do not preach for pay, expecting payment from your hearers or uh, as if you're given some sort of service that's not free. Don't do that. But do, number two, but do be willing to receive support from fellow believers who want to support your gospel ministry. And that's the way these two things, I believe, go together. And that brings us to verses 11 through 15 where we see that, okay? So 11 through 15, imagine the apostles thinking, how's this all going to work, okay? Um, he's told us to go preach and heal. He told us not to pack anything. He told us to expect to be cared for when we get there. Labor's how's this all going to work? Let's read it again, verse 11 through 15. 
in whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So think about that for just a minute. Jesus gives them some practical details. When you arrive in this town, preaching, healing, without pay, we don't pack anything because the labor's worth of his food, here's practically how that's going to work out. And let me just try to break that down in some, some practical bullet points about what he just said. So think about this. One, enter into the town. That's what he just said. Enter into the town. And what are they supposed to do when they get there? Proclaim. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has arrived. The Messiah is here. So imagine them doing that in the town. Number two, he tells them in this, these few verses, find out who is worthy in the town and stay with them. Find out who is worthy and stay with them. Now, by worthy, if you, again, if you just think about these verses being connected, what, what is it telling us? Who is the person who is worthy? It's the person who receives the apostles and receives their words, receives their message. They hear, they listen to their words. They're listening to their message. They receive these apostles. These are believers. The ones who are worthy here are believers. You know, later on, Jesus is going to say, the one who won't forsake, you know, I mean, literally in this chapter, the one that won't forsake mother or father, et cetera, et cetera, is not worthy of me. You're talking about believers that believe this Messiah has come. They believe the message. So they, so they do that. They find one that's worthy. They find some believers that are receiving their message. And then thirdly, it says, when you enter the house, greet it. So imagine that. They preached openly. They found out who is worthy, who seems to be, they seem to be one that would receive the teaching, receive the words. They seem to be believer. And when you enter the house, greet it. Now we know what that greeting is. If you go read Luke chapter 10, that greeting is, peace be upon this house. They're supposed to come into the house and they say, what they say, the way they greet them, they say, peace be upon this house. Now we'll talk about what that means in just a minute. But how these people respond to that message, peace be upon this house, it determines what the apostles do next. If they receive the apostles, receive the message, they're believers, peace, blessing on this house. Stay there and let them care for your needs. That's the idea. But if they reject the apostles, reject their message, it says here, let your peace return to you, meaning, keep reading, meaning what? Shake off the dust from your feet. That's a judgment sign against them. We don't even want the dirt to cling to us. It's disassociation from these people. We don't even want your dirt to cling to us. And it's a judgment. Think about what he said in verse 15. Look, just glance at verse 15. It's going to be more bearable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for these people that reject these apostles and their message. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, practically, I hope you get a feel of what's there. Walk in the house, peace on this house. 
How do they respond? If they receive it, let them care for you. If they don't receive it, it's a pronouncement of judgment. Now, I want to, I want to highlight just a couple things from this sort of, um, this practical section, verse 11 through 15. So just a couple things. One, he says peace. I want you to think about what that means for just a minute. Think about him walking in. They've just been proclaiming the Messiah has come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then they walk in the house and say, peace be upon this house. And then it says, let, let your peace rest or let your peace. So, so what's the deal with this peace here? Now to the Jewish mind, this is not merely about tranquility. We typically, we typically think of peace as being peaceful and it's tranquil and I don't know, Kenny G's playing in the background or something. You know, it's just, it's peaceful, it's tranquil. And that's not the idea here. This is not merely about tranquility. This peace beyond beyond your house, this is a messianic reference. And I know you're tired of me saying that. But I don't want you to miss that from chapter the end of chapter 9 all the way through to where we're at right now, this stuff is about the Messiah. And so often people miss how clearly this stuff is about the Messiah. So I want you to think about that for just a moment. He says, peace. Peace, okay? Okay, again, think about it. Chapter 9, verse 36. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're a messiahless people. Chapter 10, verse 6. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Those that are lost, they don't have their messiah. They're a messiahless people. Chapter 10, verse 7. Proclaim what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has arrived. The messiah is here. And then walk into the house, and just imagine this, walk into the house to one that seems worthy and say, peace be on this house. And what's coming to the Jewish mind? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where the Messiah is called the Prince of Peace. That there's coming one, unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. His name will be called Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. Uh, the government will be on his shoulders. He's going to sit on the throne of David. He's the Messiah. Think about this. Just let me read this passage to you. Peace be upon this house. Isaiah chapter 59. Excuse me, uh, chapter 52. I'm going to read verse 7. Think about it. Isaiah 52. This is right in the middle of all this stuff about the coming of the Messiah. The one that would be wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And he says this in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. It's what the apostles are doing. Who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness. Who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you see it? Peace be upon this house. It's a messianic reference that the prince of peace is here. And how are they going to respond to that? Do they receive it? Yes and amen. That's the Messiah and they're a believer. Let them care for you. But what if they reject it? What if they reject it? And that brings me to the second thing I want you to see. There are eternal consequences connected to receiving the apostles and their teaching or rejecting the apostles and their teaching. There are eternal consequences. Now, now, if you look over chapter 10, verse 40, it says, Whoever receives you, this is toward the end of his teaching, before he sends them out, whoever receives you, apostles, receives me. But it cuts both ways. Whoever rejects the apostles and their teaching, they are rejecting Jesus as their 
Messiah. And think about what he says in verse 15. Just glance at it carefully. Truly I say to you, that's the kind of language Jesus uses, right? Like, wake up, listen to me. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town or that house that rejects these apostles. Now, if you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, go read Genesis 19 and the judgment that came down on those people. Fire and brimstone, literally a fire burning skin off a bone. If you would have been there, this would have been horrific. This is a nightmare of death that you can go read about in Genesis 19 and go read Jude. And Jude tells us that that happened to them as an example of the eternal fire that is to come. This is supposed to give us a visual of a hell is coming. And so don't you get that, that when he says that it's going to be worse for them on the day of judgment than for Sodom and Gomorrah, he's threatening them with hell. That hell, a burning fire of hell, horrific pain, forever and ever is going to come down on those who reject these apostles and reject their teaching. These are threatenings of eternal hell. Now, I want you to think about this. We're about to move into some application here in a minute. But think about this. Brothers and sisters, and anybody here that's not in Christ, no apostle is going to come knocking on your door this afternoon. Okay? Knock, knock, knock. You open the door, and they say, Peace be upon this house. Okay? Not happening. If it does happen, happen, uh, if, you're, if you have the ability to open up to Acts 1 and 2 Corinthians 12, show them that they're not an apostle because the last one was Paul the apostle. Show them that. If you're not ready for that, just shut the door. Okay? But if they show up, knock, knock, I'm an apostle, peace be upon this house. Not happening, okay? So nothing to reject or receive there. But listen to me. What follows the apostles? What is the successor of the apostles? When the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, Acts 2.42, what do we devote ourselves to? How do we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? Because there are no more apostles. How do we do that? It's in the written words of God. The apostles' teaching is right here. And when it comes into your ears, it comes into a home, it comes into a city, you either receive it and Christ is the Messiah, He is the Lord, or you reject it. And the consequences are the same. The consequences are the same. You've got the apostles' message of the Messiah, and you reject it. You're worse off than those people that burn in Sodom and Gomorrah because you're going to burn forever in hell. It's a warning that ought to be felt. And so if you're here today and you're without Jesus Christ, and you have heard the gospel, you understand Jesus is the Messiah, He is the King, you understand that you deserve to go to hell, but He literally died in your place. He took your punishment, He took your wrath, so that you don't have to. And if you reject that message, there's nothing left. There's no hope left for you. And the warning you have to feel is, did you see what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? That, that, that's just play stuff compared to eternity in hell. And there ought to be a felt warning there. Now I want us to move into some application. Okay? But before we move into some application, I want, to, I want to remind us of something from last week as we think through how to apply Matthew 10, verse 5 through 15. Okay? So we've kind of made it through our text. we made it through our passage. Explaining what's there. And as we get ready to apply it, 
I want you to remember what was, what was told to us last week. We were challenged that we need to have a sound hermeneutic. We need to have a sound hermeneutic. Now, what's that? Hermeneutics is the study of the interpretation of Scripture. Okay? In other words, how do you understand? How do you interpret and understand what's in the text of Scripture? Now, that's really, really important. I've heard a man say before that all the best heresies come out of somebody's quiet time. Right? They got a verse. It's not that heretics that, that lead you with messages that condemn you to hell. It's not that they don't have a Bible verse. It's that they don't understand it right. How do you interpret? How do you understand the text? Do you have a sound hermeneutic? Now, this is really, really important. I'll just give you a couple reasons of why it's important. These are reasons that were mentioned last week. I just want to remind you of this. It's important because, one, it protects you from error. It protects you from deadly error. Now, just to give a couple examples, think about this. Imagine somebody that doesn't have a sound hermeneutic. They read Matthew 10, verse 5, and they say, you know what I'm supposed to do? I'm not supposed to go to the nations. I ain't worried about the nations. I'm going to Israel to preach the gospel. Okay? And you start telling them, well, wait a minute. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations. And they say, no, man, I ain't worried about what you're talking about. Verse 5 tells me to go to Israel. You see what's off there? They're not interpreting this right. Okay? Or another example would be, man, what, this, is, this is given last week. Man, what in the world is wrong with this church? This church is so insufficient. You know why? Nobody's being healed. The dead aren't being raised. There's still sickness in this city. Can you believe that? The apostles were going in and eradicating sickness, but there's still sickness in Jackson, Mississippi. we got big hospitals over there. What an unfaithful church. Can you, can you imagine that? Like connecting faithfulness to not doing the miracles that are here. And the reason someone would do that is because they don't understand by sound hermeneutic what those miracles were for. Okay? So one reason it protects you from error. Another reason this is important, it helps you know what God is really saying to his people. Don't you want that? Think about that. Oftentimes we read a text and we're so fast to apply it to ourselves then we skip right over, but what does it mean? It's not all about me. What does it mean first? How do you interpret it first before you apply it to yourself? The example given of that last week that I thought was so good was John 14, 26, right? The Holy Spirit will, will come, and it says he will bring, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to, that I said to you. So Jesus says to his apostles, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to bring to your remembrance everything I said to you. Now, there is some application for us in that, okay? But, but we skip what it actually means interpreting it first, and we miss glorious truth. And we make that all about ourselves, and we miss the glorious truth of what? The truth that Jesus just promised these men a perfect supernatural memory that when Christ is risen, ascends on high, they're going to be able to write out these gospels for us. With a perfect memory, remembering everything that Jesus said. Not, oh, I can't remember. Did he say this or did he say this? No, they know exactly what he said. The Holy Spirit is going to bring to remembrance everything I said. And you miss that glorious truth because you skipped the, the interpretation. You skipped having a sound hermeneutic. And we've all done that in different ways. I believe we could all confess doing that in different ways. Now, having a sound, this is what I want to say. This is why I'm reminding us of that. Having a sound hermeneutic does not mean that the scripture uh, does not apply to you. It just means you're getting the right application, right? Not that it doesn't apply to you, you're just getting the right application. I hope to give a few examples of that or a couple examples of that 
in this text that we're in right now. So let me just ask a question. Think about this. In the text that we just went through, we see a lot there that applies directly to the apostles. Question, what applies to us? What do we take away and apply to ourselves? And I'm just going to give you two examples, okay? Number one, brothers and sisters, Grace Community Church, preach what they preached. Preach what they preached. Now, the application to us is not go to the lost sheep of Israel, okay? If we thought that was the only goal, we'd actually have to disobey the Great Commission, right? Okay, the, the command to us is not go in every town and heal every sickness, raise the dead, etc. It's for the apostles. But, but certainly we can take away, preach what they preached. They were proclaimers, it says here. I want you to apply that to yourself. They were proclaimers. It says they went in, as you go into these towns, proclaim. <coughs> Excuse me. They were proclaimers. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, be reconciled to God. So brothers and sisters, this is a takeaway. Be proclaimers like they were proclaimers and preach the message that they preached. They preached the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They preached that. Go preach that. Go preach King Jesus has arrived. Preach who the king is. Preach what he's done. Preach how he's saying so. Go preach uh, the way Paul said is I came and I determined nothing among, to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. I know I'm preaching Christ to you, who he is, what he's like, and I'm preaching Christ crucified for sinners died in their place. Go preach what they preach. Preach the gospel they preach. We have a good news to bring to a lost world. Preach the repentance that they preach. If people don't turn from their sin, if their allegiance stays with themselves and with this world, they will go to hell. They must turn from their sin and put their hope in Christ. Go preach repentance. I encourage you not to let, on this repentance piece, don't let an unhealthy desire to be liked and to be seen as nice Keep you from saying hard things like turn from your sin, repent, or kick the dust off your feet. Or warn and give threatenings about hell. Like Jesus does here. Be bold proclaimers of the apostles' message. I want to encourage you to take that. Get, take that application. Go get by yourself on your knees before God, maybe with an open Bible, to Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. And read it and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go read that and say, God, please help me to do this. Please make me bold. Please make me courageous. Preach what they preached. There's a verse, uh, Psalm 96, verse 10. And again, I love it when the Bible just tells me what to say. Okay? Psalm 96, verse 10 says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. And that's a sweet verse. Go say it. Tell them the Lord reigns. Second application. Send out laborers into the harvest. Send out laborers. Brothers and sisters, let's be faithful as a church to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, again, we don't take away the details, like, like all the little details here. We don't take that away like, hey, as you go on a mission, missionary journey or something like that, uh, don't pack. 
Nothing. No extra socks, you know, no food, no money, no wallet. Like, we don't take that away. I mean, like I said, Luke, go read Luke 21. Jesus actually revoked that at the end. This was something specific for this time. It was unique. So we don't do that. There, there's, a, there's something Spurgeon, I think I jotted down. Oh, yes, Spurgeon said in response to some men that were saying, this is the, you know, this is the way you should do the mission. Spurgeon uh, was really profound. He said, oh, that some of our very spiritual brethren had a little common sense. Thought that was a profound way to deal with it. So it's not the exact plans. It's not this exact detail. We don't take away the exact details of, hey, when you go on the mission, you know, walk up to somebody's house over there, you know, go, you know, go to the Middle East or uh, go to India and walk up to somebody's house. When you walk in, just say, peace be upon this house. Like we're not taking away these little details, right? But what we are taking away that's not just unique to the apostles is that we would be those that send out labors into the harvest. Think about how all this started. All this started back in Matthew chapter 9, right? Where Jesus looks at the crowds. They're like a people without their Messiah, and he's full of compassion. And he says, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That ought to be us. Oh, God, send out laborers into the harvest. Oh, God, use us to send out laborers into unreached places on this earth. God, use, Lord, help us in that. We ought to pray that. Next chapter, we're in a chapter, and Jesus not only says pray it, now he's sending out laborers into the harvest. And I want us to be faithful to do the same. Now, what kind of laborers should we send out? Well, this passage gives us a little insight. What kind of laborers should we send out? This passage gives us some insight to that. Two things. We need to send out those that know and love and proclaim the apostolic message of the gospel. It's the most important thing. Send out people like that. And number two, we need to send out those that are not looking for money. They're not looking to just preach for money, to make a little dough. This says give without pay. And that's exactly the kind of laborers we ought to support. Pray, God, give us laborers that we send out of this church to go establish churches in other lands that don't have churches. And God, send out those that love your gospel and know it and can proclaim it. And God, send out those that are not greedy for gain, doing this stuff for unrighteous gain. And I'll just close with this. That's exactly what we see in the life of Jesus. Jesus gave without payment, right? And yet, in Luke chapter 8, verse 3, listen to this. Excuse me, verse 1. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Shusa, and Herod's, Harold's household manager, and Susanna, and listen to this, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Not going out with a glorious gospel, not, to, not for the sake of money, and yet people are supporting them out of their means. Jesus and these apostles. This is exactly what Paul said. 2 Corinthians, if you're looking for a model, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. Paul the Apostle says this to the Corinthian church. Remember when he went to Corinth in Acts 18? Remember that? He says this to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11.8. He says, I robbed other churches 
I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. A man with a glorious gospel going out, not going out for money, trying to make a little dollar off these Corinthians, going to hear their message. And yet people, he says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them to go serve you. This is that model of go without being, without being paid, and yet the laborer is worthy of his wages. And then one more, we're actually told to do this. And this is where we'll, we'll stop. Third John. Third John says this. Beloved, I hear this, last words. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well, listen, to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For, this is the kind of laborers you do that with, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. They go out for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, for His glory, with His gospel. His gospel. Listen, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Not doing it for pay. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Brothers and sisters, I want you to take this passage. Go home, on your knees, open Bible, read it. Glory in Christ, glory in the Messiah, Prince of Peace, King forever, the shepherd to his people. Go glory in Christ and then, and then pray for these two applications. Pray, God, help me to be a preacher, a bold preacher of this apostolic message. And God, help us as a church to send out laborers into this all-nations harvest. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for your word and for letting us read it and letting us meditate on it together. And Lord, we glory in you. You're a, you're a wonderful Savior. You are the Prince of Peace. Lord, we were enemies that deserved nothing but your wrath, and yet you made reconciliation through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we give you praise for that. Thank you for being our King. You're our King. You're our Shepherd. And we bow down to you, Lord. Help us to live lives submissive to you, Lord. Bow down to you. Make us doers of your word and not hearers only. God, I pray that you make us bold proclaimers of your gospel. Help us to preach repentance, to preach good news, to preach the Messiah. Help us, Lord, to faithfully preach Christ and him crucified. And Lord, I pray you would save many souls. God, I pray you'd help us as a church to send out laborers into the harvest. God, raise up, raise up your people, Lord, that you would have to go to unreached places, Lord, that don't have your gospel and have no church. And God, I pray that you would use us to send them there. Help us to be fellow workers for the truth in that way. Thank you so much, Lord, for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.